We're, we're, like they said, we're, we're uh, looking at some Old Testament stories today, and we've been focusing on uh, the life of Moses uh, in this series called Unlikely Hero. And um, we talked three weeks ago, we talked about the making of a hero where, where God actually takes you, who you are, where you are, your specific circumstances, and he uses that to bring glory to himself. And then two weeks ago, we talked about the breaking uh, of a hero where, where we looked at how God uh, takes the junk and the stuff in our life and strips it away from us so that we can be used for his glory. And then last week, we talked about the challenge of a hero where we, we looked at when you are called to God's work, you will face challenges. And that oftentimes we think when there's challenges, we must have misunderstood our call, right? And that's not the case at all because life, uh, when we follow God, is going to be filled with challenges. Uh, next week, we're going to be looking at the leader's legacy. And this week, though, we're looking at uh, the failures of a leader, and first, I just want to talk for a couple of minutes uh, before we even go and in, dive into the life of Moses about our perspective on failure. Because I, I think, um, you know, I think the way we think about failure is kind of interesting. And so what I did, so what's the first thing you want to do when you find out what failure is? You go to the internet, right? And you Google failure images. And so I thought, well, that, that's a good place to start. And so I want to just, let's look at a few images here that I think demonstrate what failure is in our minds. And the first one, uh, remember, who wants to be a millionaire? Bill, Bill uh, Green will love this one. Homeowners buy surge protectors to protect their possessions from unexpected surges of water flow, right? And let's see the next one. I got another, uh, another who wants to be a millionaire. Which of the following is the largest, the moon or an elephant? Okay, let's see what else. What does that net us at the end of the day? Zero dollars. Another image I, I uh, love, our criminals are getting smarter and smarter. They're wiser. We have the marker bandits here. They, they uh, thought that they could just color their faces and get away with crime. It didn't work for them. <laughs> this is all true stuff, too. This isn't just made up. Uh, here's another one. You heard of putting the cart in front of the horse. That's sort of a variation on that, I think. It's, that's pretty failure-driven. And then you ever have one of those days where stuff doesn't turn out the way you thought it was going to? That's this one right here. This master plan goes south. And this, this is my favorite. Remember the VHS rewinders? Well, someone had this great idea for DVD rewinders. That product failed. Can you believe it? Yeah, we are a brilliant, brilliant group of individuals, aren't we? See, when we think about failure, though, honestly, what we, what we usually think is uh, that it disqualifies us. It's sort of the disqualification of something. And our society is kind of set up to look at failure in a pretty negative way. You know, we, we try and avoid failure, which I think is wise. It's unpleasant. No one, we certainly don't aspire to, well, I hope we don't aspire to failure. I think, I think the marker bandits did aspire to failure. Uh, and, you know, it, it sort of demonstrates our, 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 uh, the level of our ability or maybe the lack thereof when we fail. It's, it's the definition itself. It's defined as something that falls short of what is required or expected. Failure. Yeah. And you think about it. It's kind of how our society is set up. If, if you fail a class, right? You fail high school, you can't graduate. If you, if you fail to, um, your driving exam, you can't 
can't get a driver's license, you fail the bar, you can't practice law. If you have a failed business, right? It's just bad stuff, right? And I'm, I'm not proposing that we have these mass societal changes so everyone can succeed. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I think that it's important. We generally view failure in a pretty negative way, and maybe that's all right. I was thinking through my own failures when I graduated from college. It was uh, over 20 years ago. I graduated from college, and in my mind, I was, uh, studied education, and uh, I was convinced with all my heart that people were going to be knocking down my door right, to hire me. And I sent out hundreds of resumes and, and and I did well in college, and I, I was, you know, just waiting for all the offers. And of all of my resumes and applications I filled out, guess how many phone calls I got asking me to come interview? <laughs> Zero. That was an epic failure. It took me eight years. I did get a job uh, that year, which was really good. <laughs> I had a lot of college loans to pay off. But um, I got a job that year, and it actually worked out really well. And, but eight years later was when I got the job that I desired. I also, I think you know this about me, I always wanted to be a rock star, and I was in a band, and we did all these touring things, and we pursued record deals and never signed it. And in my mind, that was an epic failure, just a tragic failure. And uh, I would say this, we did have someone, we were offered a contract, we just couldn't agree on it as a band. That was a failure too. Anyway, the other thing though I want to talk about with you is what is a leader? Cause as a, so we're looking at the failures of a leader, right? And so some of you may be sitting there right now going, oh, he's talking about leaders. I'm not a leader. Well, I have news for you. When, you know, you're thinking, okay, a leader, that's a CEO, right? Or a pastor or, uh, you know, a principal, a manager, business owner. Those are leaders. No, that's not how I'm defining it. The, defi- the definition of a leader is anyone who has a sphere of influence. Obviously, some spheres are going to be larger than others, but anyone who has influence is a leader. Let me just talk to you. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you say, I'm a Christian, you certainly are to be a leader. Jesus, just before he left the earth, he gives what we call the Great Commission. What does he say? Go make disciples. In other words, you take what I've taught you and replicate that in the lives of others. Your job is to help every person take one step closer to Christ. It's a great commission. So if you call yourself a Christian, you are to be a leader. I am talking to you. You may be sitting there going, well, I'm not a, I'm, I'm, I actually don't call myself a father of Christ. Well, that's fine too. If you're a middle school student, guess what? You have influence with your peers. If you're a dad with your children, siblings with your, every relationship you're in, you have the potential to have influence. So I want you to hear me clearly. I'm talking to every single person today. Again, we're looking at the life of Moses and exploring the failures of a leader and using his life story as he led the Israelites uh, as, as a template to work from. You know, and I thought about this. Doesn't it make you wish someone followed you around for your whole life and chronicled everything and made sure to include all the details so that people following you could look about it and read at it and go, look at the failures of this guy. Is that ridiculous or what? That's what I, you know, one day that's my greatest I desire. Oh, boy, I could be so, such a great leader that people can learn from my failures. By the way, if you're not convinced that, that we view, just as a side note, if, we're not, if you're not convinced yet that we view failure negatively, I want you to do this little exercise. Turn to someone next to you that you don't know and t- share with them your greatest life failure. Go ahead. No takers? Yeah, me either. 
Anyway, what I want to do in the time we have this morning is to look at failure. See, now we look at our failure from our perspective, but what I want to do is take the time we have left this morning to look at failure from God's perspective. Again, we're looking at the life of Moses, and I, what, as I read through this stuff this week, I found, I think I, was, I, I uh, came across four things that I want to share with you. And these are, you know, you may already be ahead of me on this one, but I'm going to share them anyway. And the first one, what I want to share with you is this. The first thing is this, that failure always has a consequence, right? And I'm not going to belabor this point because I think you're smart enough to understand this. You know, I teach, Jude and Gideon are my, uh, two of my boys, they're five and six, and we have this saying when they get in trouble, and the saying goes like this, bad choice, bad consequence, good choice, good consequence. See, we get it, right? We understand Newton, in his, yeah, I learned this in 12th grade with, with uh, Dr. Phil Ackley was my teacher in physics. And he, he taught us Newton's third law of motion. Anyone know it? No, that's not it. What it is, is for every reaction, there is an equal and opposite reaction. See, but this isn't just true in the world of physics. It's true in life. Our actions have consequences. Again, I'm not going to belabor this point because what I want to do as we talk about, we're going to dive into some stories with Moses. And as we look at the stories, what I want to do is examine what the consequences were in the specific stories. So the first thing is, though, consequences come from failure. The second thing I want to look at is that failure is caused by sin. Okay, I just said that bad word, sin. But it's true. I want to take just a second. First of all, I'm not, I want to be clear on this. Do not hear me saying that there's this, this simple, simple uh, math problem. X sin equals X this. If I live holy, I have good, con- my house gets bigger, my car goes faster, I get better gas. My- That's not what I'm talking about. And if I sin, then I get a demotion at work. I'm not talking about that. You see plenty of people who are wealthy that are not living God-honoring lives. That's not what I'm talking about. But I will tell you this, that sometimes sin has physical, human consequences. And always, always, sin is a spiritual failure. There may be human failure as a result, and there is always spiritual failure. What I want to do is, is look at this first story, and this is uh, it's long, but I'm going to read the whole thing with you this morning. And uh, Dave's been encouraging you these last few weeks. Hey, if you, if you bring your Bible and read along, if not, we do have it on the screens. I'm reading from the NIV version, but I want to read this story, and then I'm going to talk about it for just a second. And this is found in Numbers chapter 20, verses 2 through 12. And uh, it goes like this. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt in slavery to this terrible place It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of the meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, take the staff, that's the one he parted the Red Sea with, take the staff 
And you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out from the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence. Now check it out because there's a little twist that happens here. Just as he commanded him, and he gathered, uh, he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels. I don't remember that part in the first half when, Jesus, when God was speaking to him, but listen, you rebels. Must we bring, must we, we, me and Aaron here, must we bring you water out of this rock? So Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff, and water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So what did God tell him to do? Speak to the rock. What did he do? He had a temper tantrum and he hit the rock twice and even more so, he took credit for it. Did you catch that? Must we bring water from this rock? What's he trying to do there? He's trying to take the power of God and embody that so that the people... Now, what you need to understand something about the Israelites, they were a pretty miserable people overall during this time. They were unhappy and they complained and grumbled. And they're coming against him and they're arguing with him and they're sick of everything that's going on and they don't have water. Just so you know, this had already happened once before where they didn't have water and Moses did strike a rock and water came out. But they're still unhappy. A second time. And so Moses... Let's anger, which, what, and let's talk about, what is anger? Anger is a secondary emotion, isn't it? Something happens, you feel injustice, or you feel something, and then you respond in anger. And that's what happened. Moses is frustrated with the people he's trying to lead. God's, or God is telling him what to do. He's doing it, and they're still not happy. He can't appease them. So he tries to step into the position of God and raise and elevate himself to this position of power where they're going to back down, Right? Because I can bring water from the rock, watch. But here's the consequence that comes from his sin, which is anger and pride. The consequence is this. He's told to lead the people into the promised land that flows with milk and honey. And he's told, because you did not trust me enough to honor me, as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring the Israelites into the land. They're still going. He's not now. See, now his sin had a physical, very, very, very physical failure. He was not going to enter the land that he was leading his people to. But it had a very significant spiritual failure as well. You you can look at the concept. There's a personal consequence for him, but corporate as well. Because his sphere of influence was large. It had great ripples. You ever find yourself in situations like that where you're frustrated? You're supposed to do something, but you let yourself take the role of God? I want to look at another story that demonstrates how sin causes failure. I'm not going to read this whole story. I, could, I was reading through. There's so many. I'm only going to glean some of the stories and principles from the life of Moses. But this story happens prior to the story I just read you. And this is when Moses 
God tells Moses, it's found in Numbers, if you want to do fact-checking on me, Numbers 13, you can write this down and check it out later. Moses is instructed by God to send 12 spies, one spy from each of the tribes of Israel into the land that he said, this is your land. He tells the people, this is the land. I want you to take it. Take this land. But first, send spies in so you can understand what's going on. So he does. He sends the spies, and the spies come back, and they give, they give this report. Well, 10 of them do. 10 of them give this report. Yeah, it's a great land. They bring back grapes that are so heavy, they, they're having a hard time carrying all the fruit, you know, much different from what we just talked about. They didn't have pomegranates and figs and stuff. They bring this fruit back, and it's like, yeah, it's great stuff. Beautiful land, flows with milk and honey, straight up. Yeah, it's great stuff. But the people are giants, and they'll crush us and destroy us. And even more than that, all the way on the bordering cities are some of our enemies. So we can't do it. We're not going to do it. Nope, not, not happening. Except for two people, Joshua and Caleb. They go, no, we can do it because God told us to. But the people prevail. Now, Susie and I, my wife Susie and I were talking about this, and I'm not, I don't know if this was necessarily a sin of Moses as much as a sin of the people. I would say I feel like he abdicated his power and leadership by not taking them into the land. But in either case, the people's sin was this, that they feared trusting God's plan. They had a better plan. I find it really interesting. Let's track back through their life. Slaves to Egypt, set free, Red Sea, uh uh-oh, we're going to die, staff, Red Sea parts, Israel across, Egyptians in the water, dead. That happened. Now they're in the wilderness, walking around, and what do they say? We can't do that. They're too powerful, they're giants. We might lose all we've got. What did they have? They're wandering in the desert. God's saying, here's the promised land. Go take it. No, no, no. I'm not risking this sweet desert life. (laughs) See, their plan was better than God's plan somehow because of the fear of man or the fear that they couldn't do what God wanted them to. How about you guys? You find yourself doing that one too? You hold on to what you have. God blesses you with something, and you go, I can't fear risking this. Let me just put this over here. Woo, cool, and we start acquiring. Or maybe we don't like the way God's giving it to us, you know? How about that one? And I'm asking you these questions because this is stuff I wrestle with. I'm not asking you because I've conquered this stuff and I'm holy and I'm up on a stage speaking to you. I ask you this stuff because this is stuff I wrestle with. We don't think God's giving us what we desire. We, we, we don't think he's doing it the way we want it to yet because our plan is obviously clearly better than his. And if he'd just get on board, we'd have a good life, right? <laughs> we'll look at it quickly, a third story where, where, where failure was caused by sin and that sin was the fear of people. And this is found in Exodus chapter 32. Again, I'm not going to read because it's a long story, but here's what happens. Moses goes to commune with God. This is the time when God uh, gives uh, Moses the Ten Commandments written on stone. With his own hand, he inscribes the, 
the Ten Commandments on these stones. And he goes and he's gone for a long time, like 40 days, you know, like more than a month, that is. And so he's up there and the people are down. He puts Aaron, who's second in charge. It's his brother, but he was a spokesperson for, for Moses. And he's second in charge. He says, Aaron, you watch these guys. I'm out. He goes up and he's gone for a long time. And the people come to him and they say, hey, you know what? Um, he might not come back. He's been gone a long time. So why don't you, we need gods to lead us from here forward, okay? Unlike the ones we've, Took us across the Red Sea. Well, anyway, they need God. So Aaron says, good plan, guys. Um, give me all your jewelry, and we're going to melt it down. He melts all the gold down. He makes a statue, uh, like a uh, uh, statue of, of a calf that they can worship, and he builds an altar there, and he says, hey, we're going to sacrifice uh, burnt offerings to this golden calf. Well, Moses is gone. And then Moses comes down the mountain, and he sees him worshiping, and Moses again gets angry. He's got the handwriting of God on these stones and he smashes them. He's so angry and he tells the people they're wicked. And, um, and, and Aaron here, so what's going on is Aaron is a spiritual leader. He's in charge of the people. And because he's afraid of the people, again, these are complainers, right? But he's afraid of the people and what happens he gives in, he abdicates his role as a spiritual leader and leads them down a wrong path. You see this all the time. You've seen it. Again, a large sphere of influence because of his fear of people. He fails. And just so you know, the corporate, the corporate for, for these guys, anyone over 20 as a result of these, sins, these, these failures of sin, because of that, anyone over 20 was also not allowed to enter the promised land. Again, a severe physical human consequence given as a result. But I just need to tell you this. This is really important. Galatians uh, ver- chapter 1 verse 10 tells us, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? This is Paul speaking. Or am I trying to please, I'm sorry, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of God. And I just want to tell you something about this. You cannot be a servant of God if you're worried about making everyone happy. Even yourself. Because God is going to call you and ask you to do things you do not want to do. And you're faced with a choice. Am I going to make myself happy? Someone else happy? Or am I going to make God happy? And there's only one that's not a failure. But more than that, my third thing that I want to share with you this morning is this. Yes, there's a consequence. Yes, failure is caused by sin. But failure is also caused by being alive. Not all failure is sin. Failure is a part of life. It's not always sin. It's actually pretty important. Came across a quote that says this, he who never makes a mistake never makes anything. Another one I found was this, success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, I like that one too, Steve. I, I, on this one, I want to show you a story, a quick story. Again, Moses here. And this is found in Exodus 18. Again, I'm not going to read the story, but here's what happens in Exodus chapter 18. 
Moses is, is he set himself up as a judge because there there's there are quarrels and things going on. Uh, and, and there are million million literally million people that, that Moses is leading, right? Through the desert. And he sets himself as a judge because there were quarrels and there are arguments, they're trying to figure things out. And uh, so he's a judge. But but people are coming to him all day from the beginning of the day till the end of the day, and they're lining up and he's not getting through all the people. It's not it's not effective. And so what happens as his father-in-law, Jethro, comes to him and he says, Moses, this isn't working. You've you got you to gotta fix this. You're failing miserably. You've got lines and lines and lines of people who need judges, and you're not, you can't get to it all. Well, say, okay, what do I do? And he says, what you need to do is you need to find people that are trustworthy, God-fearing, and don't want to b- accept a bribe. And you employ them over 1,000 and over 100 and over 10. And you have them judge the stuff. And if they can't figure it out, escalate it. So you end up judging the ones that are too difficult for them. Good thinking. See, Moses wasn't sinning. He just had a problem. He couldn't, he was failing at being able to do what he needed to do. And someone came and spoke into his life and said, here's a plan. He did it. See, failure is something that God uses to create change and growth in us. It's not always sin. You guys probably know of J.K. Rowling. You know who she is? She wrote the um, Harry Potter books. Um, anyway, she, she graduated from Harvard University, and 21 years after her graduation, they asked her to come back and, and give the commencement address. And she did. And, uh, and, and in her commencement address, she decided that she would speak to the, peop- the, to the students uh, and the faculty and all the people there on the, the value of failure. And in her own words, this is what J.K. Rowling says. She says, seven years after graduation, I had failed on an epic scale. I had failed at a short-lived marriage. I was jobless completely broke to the point she says that she could not be poorer unless she were homeless in modern England. Her greatest fears and those of her parents had come true. And by every usual standard, she says, I was the biggest failure I knew seven years after graduating from Harvard. She was on to say this, Failure meant a stripping away of the inessential. I stopped pretending to myself that I was anything other than what I was, and I began to direct all my energy into finishing the only work that mattered to me. Had I really succeeded at anything else, I might never have found the determination to succeed in the one arena I believe I truly belonged. I was set free because my greatest fear had been realized, and I was still alive. And I had an old typewriter and a big idea. So rock bottom became the solid foundation upon which I rebuilt my life. She goes on to say this, some failure in life is inevitable, it's impossible to live without failing at something unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all. In which case, you fail by default. See, without failure, you will never know the value of your friendships You'll never know your true inner strength. You'll never know your true motivation or what really the things you care about. 
which takes me to the fourth point I want to share with you, and that's this. Yes, there are consequences. Yes, sin causes failure. Yes, failure is just part of life. But the fourth thing is this. Failure does not define you. You know, it's the difference between what happens when a man says, I've failed three times, and what happens to a man that says, I'm a failure. See, that's a pretty, pretty different perspective, isn't it? See, Moses was not a failure, but he was a man who failed. So was David, who was one of God's chosen. So was Abraham. So was Peter, who denied Christ three times. They were men who failed. They weren't perfect men, but they weren't failures. For this, I want to jump off the life of Moses here for just a second. I want to look at a story that we find in Luke. Jesus speaking here. And it's a story I'm sure you all are aware of. It's the story of the prodigal son. The story goes like this, that uh, a father, he was a wealthy, wealthy individual, and he had uh, two sons, and the one son went to him and said, hey, hey, dad, I want my, I want my inheritance, and I want it now. So the dad says, uh, for, for whatever reason, he says, all right. So he divides up his money, and he gives, he gives the son uh, his inheritance, and the son goes off, and he lives like crazy. It was just a debaucherous life, and he blows through all of the money, uh, just, just living wretchedly, and just lives it up. He's out of money, and then a, then a um, famine hits the land. Good timing, right? And so he finds himself working, tending pigs for someone else. And he, he's, he has this crystallizing, just this moment of crystal, crystal clarity, and, he, and he's looking at the, the rinds that the pigs are eating, and he's going, man, I wish I could have some of that. That's how bad off this guy is. Epic failure, right? There's an epic failure. But his crystal, his moment of clarity goes like this. He's like, you know what? Even the servants at my dad's house are better off than this. So maybe I'll go back and see if he'll take me on as a servant. And before I finish the story, I want to freeze right here for a second because I think that this is so valuable to our thinking. Do you realize that what had just happened in this guy's life? See, what happened in this guy's life is he allowed failure to define him. He actually allowed his failure to define the love of his father because he believed because of his failure because of his choices, his bad consequences, because of his failure, he was disqualified from being a son. See, no longer could he have God's, or his dad's original plan for his life. He had to go to plan B now. See, this is what happens when we fail. We think, you know what? I'm not worthy. What God intended for me originally okay, well, I can't do that, but maybe I can do something else, and I think that that's a lie from the pit of hell. See, because as you read this story, he goes back to his dad to be hired as a servant. What does his father do? His father sees him coming from far away, and he knows it's his son. And because his father's love is greater than the son's failure, 
His, his dad runs to him and he embraces him. He throws a party for him, puts a ring on his finger and a coat on his back. Let me ask you this as we close out this morning. I'm going to invite the band. You guys can come on forward. Every single one of you in here has failed. Me too. Do you believe that your failure is greater than God's love? Have you bought into the lie that you're no longer worthy, that your damaged goods, that God's initial plan for your life no longer valid? But maybe if you're lucky, you can get a plan B. Do you think that God is not as great as the giants that you have to face? Let me ask you, middle school student, are you afraid of the kids knowing that you maybe, maybe they'll find out that I, I'm a Christian? I don't want to use that influence. Mom, dad, business owner, whoever you are, you find yourself in situations where you're like, I can't trust God's plan. I don't want to be a failure. Or maybe could this be the place like J.K. Rowling where God is stripping away the inessentials from your life and desiring to use you in spite of your failure to understand that his love is greater? Do you realize if we never failed, we could never fully know God? Do you know that? Because without failure, we could never understand his forgiveness or feel the hand of grace touch our lives. or understand the magnitude of his love.